You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there. We're in the Gangland Wire studio and on Skype with our good friend, co-host, mob historian from uh, up north, north part of the United States, uh, up around the Chicago area, Cam Robinson. Welcome, Cam. Gary, how you doing? Good. It's good to have you here. Uh, we've gonna, we're going to do the second part of that uh, Montreal crime family. and I watched Bad Blood. That first season was so much right on target. It really, really stuck to it really closely. Yeah, I was impressed after I did the, did, really did the history on it. I, you guys, I'd recommend, if you haven't seen this on Netflix, get, go look at Bad Blood. It's a really good series. Cam, I need to make some thank yous first. Uh, I've got mm-hmm. Francis from Cleveland. Uh, he's been listening to our podcast for last six months. He said, great show. He wants to know my Venmo name. Hey, that's good. I'm, uh, uh, that was just yesterday. I got that. I'll keep watching Venmo. Uh, I'm going to have to do a Cleveland episode for him coming <laughs> yeah, really. up. Well, you know, I did one on Angelo uh, Leonardo, Leonardo, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, that's there's right. A, there's a lot more to Cleveland than just Angelo Leonardo, who ended up in the witness protection program. But that was interesting. The, is uh, the mob uh, oath that he uh, recounted to the authorities. Anyhow, uh, and from speaking of Venmo, from Trett Goodman, uh, he gave me a nice little donation. Bought me a shot and a beer, more than just a cup of coffee. Uh, thanks for the incredible work. He said, Brother Against Brother is one of the better mob documentaries he's seen. And, and he said, I've watched a lot. So that was a, quite a compliment. I, I keep getting those those compliments on that movie, Cam, and, and I don't know. I, I, it is good. I liked it. Uh, I, I, the fact that it, it's telling such an interesting story, but from somebody who was right in the middle of it, Gary, that, that, that's what really got me is not only is this something that you were studying and reading up on, but you, you were right there in the line of fire, and you're recounted basically firsthand. That, that's what really that's that, that's what's really appealing about it to me is that this is a documentary told by somebody who was actually on the front lines. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, and I've never seen one that did it exactly quite like no. that. <laughs> and another no. thing we did, it was just an accident. I thought of this is we filmed several of the guys right out there on the exact streets where we <laughs> did that thing. <laughs> some of those streets still are looking kinda, over their shoulder. Yeah, some of those streets are kind of dicey out there right now too. <laughs> <laughs> from a different standpoint, I don't mean from mobs. <laughs> I was I was doing a, a YouTube tour of Kansas City mob sites one time by myself on the motorcycle, and I'd get off and I'd do uh, you know t- turn the camera around and talk about this is what you're seeing in the background. And there's a couple of dudes that came up behind me, and finally I just had to quit. And I said, you know, I turned around and watched them and get on the motorcycle and drive off. <laughs> <laughs> I think they had an idea. Anyhow, moving right along, Zach Swanson. Zach Swanson, uh, he said uh, your podcast is great. Uh, he was a uh, Venmo dude. Got another one from an old friend of ours. I hadn't heard from him for a while. I I, I was hoping he was still out there. Myron Watson from uh, Blue Springs area. And he's he's made a few nice donations over the years. Been a long time listener and. And he uh, he made another nice donation. He said the only thing he wanted was uh, a copy of the DVD Brothers Against Brothers. So I got that packaged up out there. I need to run it into the down to the post office before I leave town here next week. 
Ben Goodrich made a nice little donation. Uh, he said that uh, he loves the podcast and it makes his work day go by easier. And, you know, and I've gotten that several times. People say yeah. it makes their work go by easier. Some kind of a job that you don't really have to uh, 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 listen to anything or, or focus particularly on anything. And Or like if you're like as I was a policeman, I know I had a, a paddy wagon driver get hold of me once and he said yeah i said uh, i started on your podcast and he said i volunteered to drive the paddy wagon on the midnight shift last night because i wanted to binge on all the episodes i could so you know <laughs> if you're driving the paddy wagon you don't really have to do anything you can hear your radio number called and then you go pick somebody up and take them downtown and go back out and drive around till somebody else calls uh so uh, you got those kinds of jobs although i did have a uh, a heavy equipment operator that wanted it wanted to know if i can make it louder because his heavy equipment kind of drowned it out. And, and you know, I've listened to him, and, and, and yeah, they're as loud as they need to be. I, I, what he needs probably is better uh, 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 earbuds, more than likely. He needs some headphones about 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Casey Walsh, uh, guy's become a friend of mine. I knew him from before. It's the second time I've uh, thanked him. I think he made another nice donation. He's kind of helping me... Uh, make some connections and see if we could do a Bob World Summit next summer in connection with a local cigar store. I've talked to a few other people about it and ran the idea by them, and everybody thinks it's a great idea. Uh, to These cigar stores do uh, programs to draw in yeah. customers and do promos. Yeah, the one stuff. around here do all kinds of little little things, uh, cigars and guitars and they have all kinds of yeah. guys come and meet and speak yeah it's it's a it's a hell of a good place to get together and just uh and and talk about all kinds of things i bet they'd love to have you come yeah there and talk. so so i stopped by the one that's close to me here today it's kind of the, there's a, the two big cigar stores in town this is kind of the higher higher income bracket store and it's, it's pretty close to me here so i went down and talked to that guy and, and the boss wasn't in so i ran it by his manager and he i could tell he was kind of interested but he, he was a little bit, he, he just didn't know. He, he he couldn't quite envision it, I think. It seemed right. like he needed somebody to tell him the vision. And the other one's out in the suburbs, the Outlaw Cigar Store. And, and if I don't hear back from this guy, by the time I get back from Texas, I'm going to, uh, I'll go hit up the Outlaw Cigar Store and see what they got, see if they want to do something. I, I think it's a natural uh, kind of combination. Uh, absolutely. Probably have other people I need to thank out there, but just wiretappers, just I thank you all. Every time I look, my, my downloads are going up a little bit every month, and, and I, I really appreciate all of you. I'd like to name you all by name, but that would take too long. That would take two or three podcasts or more. This is going to be the second part of a two-part series on Canadian organized crime. We're going to talk a little more about why Vito Rizzuto was in jail down in the United States and how he got involved in a hit on three mob capos in, in uh, uh from one of the five families you remember which family was it all of a sudden it slipped my it was mind. the uh that was banano banano family it was the uh three banano capos that's right you know you you sent me some research on this joe banano and that's quite a story there uh, that whole yeah. bananas war and uh, joe yeah. banano banana so, split in the banana war yeah yeah we we got a <laughs> banana split in the banana war that's a good one so yeah we we, we got to get on to that uh, he had his own connections with the Canadians up there, and, and uh, he was he was big into narcotics, so that's a really interesting story. But as a little review, uh, what we talked about before, I guess, and, you know, uh, the Canadian mob is, has been kind of down on the down low all during the 30s and 40s. I did find that Joe Valachi had mentioned a couple of names in his testimony, and 
there were quite a few immigrant families, uh, Italian, Sicilian immigrant families up there who did some criminal activity, but I, you know, I'm not really finding much about the kind of organization up there that we had down in the United States, you know, Cam, and I have to wonder if it was because they didn't have prohibition up there. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably right. Uh, I know Steve Magadino up in Buffalo had a little bit over into Hamilton, Ontario, but like you said, I mean, prohibition was the major driver of, uh, I mean, that was, that was what, what created the, uh, what created everything that, that created organized crime in this country was, was prohibition. You know, and, and another thing I found was uh, there's about as many Drangheta families, yeah, and, uh, over up there as there is the Sicilian mafia. Yeah, a lot of Calabrians, yeah. a lot of Calabrians up there. A ton of must have much many more must have come from Calabria. You know, you never know why groups of people come to a certain place, but usually it's because some pivotal person or some influencer. Mm-hmm came and then started writing back home and and they started getting other people to come uh there's an area down here by st louis that was settled by tons of germans and and i read a little history about it and there's a lot of wine wine, uh vineyards down there and wineries and and they said this priest came over and he he started writing people back in germany and said this this area around the Mississippi River on both sides of it and just south and west of St. Louis a little bit looks really like uh, Germany. And, and so people start flogging in that area and all the towns down there have German names and, and just tons of uh, German heritage in, in that particular area. So for some reason, some Calabrian must have started writing back and saying, hey, Toronto is a good place to come. That Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't looked up what had what had brought that sort of Calabrian diaspora to uh, up up to Canada so much, but that is something to look into because it's uh, like you said, it is a big concentration of them up there. Joe Palacci named a couple of people up there in Canada: Paul Volpe and Johnny Pops Papalia. Uh, Volpe was murdered in 1983, and his organization disappeared. Uh, there's another rival Calabrian crime family had him murdered. And and today and today in Toronto, it's there's uh, smaller Drangheta op- gangs operating. Uh, so uh, there's still some of them are coming over from Calabria, is, is what I learned. They just they just had some bust up there a few within the last few months at thirty million dollars of 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 of, uh, of items. They still they got they got several Ferraris and Lamborghini and a bunch oh, of yeah. property and oh oh, yeah, I saw God. that and that was that was a Drangheta. that was that was Calabrian too wasn't it Yeah I, yeah I, absolutely I that. That, these these I mean these guys weren't even trying to cover it up I mean you got you got three Ferraris and a Lamborghini in your driveway I mean people are going to start looking <laughs> Really <laughs> Oh I remember those Shit. days <laughs> you see somebody in the fancy Wearing car like that big hair and acid wash jeans yeah. they're gonna start thinking yeah. <laughs> i tell you the, be- the, the best thief i ever knew would re- get stuff like that when he was out of town but when he was in kansas city he wore overalls and had about a 10 year old car <laughs> yeah four doors sedan yeah these these guys in chicago looked like you know they just looked like joe off the street yeah, like they right. just gotten off their union job <laughs> yeah they did i i noticed that you know, and in contrast to the Sicilian Mafia, the Calabrian Drangheta gangs, they don't have that one godfather. They have like no. a, a like a, a, a commission that settles disputes and coordinates activities and everything. They're not they're 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 less of a pyramid kind of a organization. It's like it's like family groups. So right, there's this right. family group, not not like families in the sense of like a mob family, but right. actually an, an actual group of of relations. 
and they they have a network that works in between themselves but but it's it really is just a so you take out one it's not the kind of thing where where a, a huge Rico would would work because you take out one group. Well, that's that whole Nerangeta taken out, and then you just have others backfill from another family. So it's not uh, it is like you said, it's not as hierarchical as the uh, as the Sicilian mafia. Now that was part of the uh, dispute between Sicilian mafia and the uh, Drangheta in uh, Montreal that Vito mm-hmm. Rizzuto ran into. This guy named Vincenzo Controni. Yeah, Cadroni, uh, yeah. And, and he, he had his chief enforcer was Paolo Violi. Yeah, Violi. Right, and so the Rizzutos murdered Violi and, and some of his brothers sometime in the 70s and 80s and, and seemed to emerge as the top dogs in, in uh, Montreal. So while the Toronto probably remained under control of the Calabrians, uh, the Sicilians, and the mafia took over Montreal and, and had all the power there. Yeah, the, the Bananos had really tight ties to that Catroni organization up in Montreal, and it looks like, you know, in the, the mid to late 60s when the, the Bananos were having their war, and then Carmine Galante was locked up uh, in, in 62 and through the 70s, it looks like Catroni maybe lost some of his sort of his, his source of, of power. They were still important a lot of heroin, but, and that's about the time where, like you said, Rizzuto got tired of, of taking taking too much, taking orders from a single centralized boss. So Nick Rizzuto was leading the Sicilian faction of this, of this Drangheta group, the Catronis, and they rose up and there was this, this gang war that went on in the uh, uh, late 70s into the 80s, and they, uh, they, they wiped out the Catroni organization, basically. Killed, uh, killed his, the, the main capo, this Violi, who took over after Catroni sort of stepped down. And uh, they killed uh, Francesco and Paolo Violi. Both they were two brothers who were in charge. And uh, another, a third brother, Rocco Violi, he was sitting at his dinner and he was taken out by a sniper through his window. So that's that's three of these Violi brothers who were killed for uh, supporting Catroni. And '74 uh, was when Vic Catroni went to prison. So. And that sort of started breaking things up there, and they just never were able to get a foothold once the Rizzutos really took took uh took hold you know and, and kind of one last thing about you know a little we're going a little bit over what we talked about before but it, uh, people get caught back up here but uh, Vito Rizzuto he was that guy was good he kept low profile he didn't drive mm-hmm. any Lamborghinis and and he no. uh he may have had a Lincoln but nothing really you know crazy like that it was real <laughs> noticeable a lot of a lot of businessmen have Lincolns hell I drive a Lincoln <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We have to start looking at you. <laughs> if you drive out your if you driveway tomorrow and you see somebody start up behind you and kind of trail along behind you, don't think anything about it. <laughs> just, just, just Look, going. there's an Italian in a Lincoln. We better go see who he is. <laughs> tap on the window. Yeah, tap on the window. <laughs> He must be somebody, and he must be big. <laughs> I remember some of these young guys around here that wanted to act like they're in the mafia, and they'd have a big four-door town car Lincoln, and they'd have silk shirts and gold around their neck and, and pinky rings and all that, and they'd live at home with their mother. <laughs> that seems to be a common theme with these guys. I, 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 
And when they did get caught on something, it was some two-bit deal. You know, it certainly wasn't skimming money from Las Vegas casinos and, and controlling the Teamsters Union. Those real guys, they had Oldsmobiles and Pontiacs and, and uh, wore kind yeah. of normal clothes and, and didn't really have pinky rings and big gold jewel things or, or gold things around their neck and that kind of stuff. They said Carlo Gambino, the only extravagance he allowed himself was his personalized license plate said C. Gambino. Oh, yeah. Other than that, he was <laughs> totally understated. He, just, he allowed the one license plate. So, you know, uh, this uh, bad blood really tracked closely, as we said, and, and in the second one, it veered away significantly. But but in way in, in one way, you know, the Rizzutos created this nar- narcotics organization. They also brought in all these non-Sicilians as part of that narcotics organization and Vito was able to to keep peace and as you said last time that he told when they sent him to jail down in the United States yeah. he told him he said you know you're going to uh, see what's going to happen you're going to rue the day that you sent me away because he was the one that mm-hmm. kept everybody rolling and making money and when they'd have some kind of disputes they, they respected him enough to um, to settle let him settle the dispute and you know they'd set up mm-hmm. these uh connections down in South America by then. I tell you, these guys, you know, they had the heroin, which was old school, and they got that from uh, uh, Turkey through Sicily or Sardinia and, 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 you know, France and all that, the French connection. Yeah, Marseille and then, yeah. But early in the game, they realized cocaine was a common thing, and they went down to Venezuela and set up those connections down there. So yeah, with with the Cali cartel down. I mean, just just it's the diversification. I mean, just the way they're diversifying their whole portfolio was just just such an incredible thing about about uh, Vito Rizzuto. The way he just really split his interests and, and partnered up with everybody, and it, it wasn't. You see Canada now, like you were saying, it's so violent now. But under Vito, it just it, you just didn't see it as much on the news. It's always it's always something now about Canada. And, and that's one thing the the serious bad blood focused on was how he used the street gangs to help run the product out and the Hells Angels to move it around and and kind of keep it. And, and you know you had with those guys you gotta you gotta sit on them and you but you gotta have their respect otherwise they're gonna run all over you. Uh, and and he was able to do that. And you know, he he had the, he had the big duck. He had the connections overseas to get the heroin in. I mean, Hell's Angels, they don't have any connections in Sicily or Turkey or France. And mm. and they ain't making any heroin in the United States, and especially not in Canada. <laughs> no. They do not grow opium poppies in Canada. <laughs> no. At least not that I ever heard of. Maybe they do. but uh, And that's I that's the know. best the Hell's Angels could do. So if they want to be part of this thing and make some money, you know, they had to do it. And, and Vito also had control of the docks there in Montreal, it seems to yeah. me like. he just Right on the St. Lawrence River, yeah. He, he must have had the unions wired, and, and as well as there's a lot of corruption, more corruption I ever thought up in Canada among governmental officials. I always think it's like a squeaky clean place, but... But he had, I think the difference is they're more polite about it up there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, they just politely take the little envelope every <laughs> week, huh? <laughs> they, always, they always say thank you. And, hey, and end it with hey. <laughs> you <laughs> forgot about the hey. $1,500, eh? <laughs> Got my $1,500, eh? There you go. Ah, uh, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, eh? <laughs> You know, the, and the Montreal family, it, it appears to me, kind of my reading of it, I don't know if there's, uh, um, you have to just say I'm the expert on this, that they're a lot like Kansas City is to Chicago to the Bonanno family in, in New York City. Because the Bonanno family, again, is the big duck. 
and and in Sicilian and mafia world, you know, Bonanno family would have been the big duck. They had like 600 soldiers at one time. It was a huge, big organization back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got so big that the other the the other uh, leaders, the heads of the other family, wanted to break it up. And yeah, uh, and so he was kind of like their little brother. He he was a standalone family, but he was connected to them. And when you're connected to a family like that, then it's like Kansas City is to Chicago. You're always going to deal with them. You're always going to take them into consideration. If you make a little something extra, you may slip a little piece of that action to the mob boss up there, like. Nick Savelli used to to Joey Iupa. He he had his own stream of skim running, and he he ran up to he sent one of his guys up to Chicago periodically with like ten fifteen grand, just, and just to give it to Iupa. Iupa probably never told anybody else about that. <laughs> no shit, probably not. I wouldn't. <laughs> but but I would I wouldn't compare him. Yeah, really, I would compare him uh, to that. Now Paul Castellano, he he had a little side deal with some Sicilians and narcotics business, and and he was taking that money and wasn't telling anybody about it, and and, and it kind of caught. That was one of the one of the reasons God he had him hit. I think was because mm-hmm. he was not sharing that, and 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 one reason that he could like get away with it because it came out that he was sharing that narcotics money when he, on the surface he was telling everybody don't do narcotics, don't deal narcotics and uh, but let these sicilians deal in narcotics and, cherry hill gambinos i think uh gambino right, family right. out of cherry hill they were right the right john they were, they were long they were they were like third cousins to carlo gambino yeah. john and um uh, i can't remember the other guy's name but uh you know, cherry hill mob is what they called themselves and and actually i'm gonna do a podcast uh on this uh, i did all the research just to to show the guy, the Gambino family, what it where it is today, it, it, and it's all hooked up with these Sicilians and and kind of the progeny of these Gambinos and this guy that got killed, he he was uh, Frankie Cali. Frank Cali, yeah. yeah. He he was uh, he was connected to this Sicilian section of the Gambino family, and they've kind of taken it. Looks to me like they've kind of taken it over. It's it's still up in the air right now, but we'll see how it shakes out. Now. Since Rizzuto was bringing in the narcotics and the big market is down in New York City and the Bonanno family was, was doing all the drugs at the time, they had to do had to work with Carmine Galente, the cigar. He was kind of the at one time yeah. he was the self appointed boss of the Bonanno family and and the heroin kingpin of New York, wouldn't you say? You've read it about Carmine oh, Galente. He was like the absolutely. heroin king. He was he was actually deported from Canada in 1956. He was he was spending so much time up there, and he was uh, the Canadian Mounties uh, deported deported Galanti, and he ran uh, he ran everything remotely. 1957 was when they had the the big Sicilian heroin conference with uh, Galanti and Bonanno went to Sicily to sort of firm out more of those details, and all that heroin was basically coming in through some of it through New York, but most of it through 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 Canada there. So Canada really, I mean, that was, that was their major, major income there was, was the narcotics. That's, that's why they get, grew so, so powerful. And yeah, it was through, through, uh, Galante. And, you know, during the seventies, if you just, uh, in the popular culture, just think about the movie Serpico and the French connection and the French connection and yeah. the mob, other mob movies in the seventies and those black exploitation movies, uh, Superfly and all that, uh, the Italians always were depicted as the ones that were controlled the heroin traffic in pop- popular culture and in, in reality too. So just kind of an interesting little sidelight, how art always kind of imitates life. And, uh, you know, there is nothing original, uh, 
after uh, Galente's murder, which, you know, he's the one that said uh, uh, nobody would ever murder me, <laughs> I think, not too long mm-hmm. before, uh, before they saw him, they, they killed him. There's a power struggle in the Bonanno family between a couple of rival factions, of course, as there will be, you know, with uh, with Bonanno yeah. out in Arizona and Bill, his son, is not really wanting to do anything and really didn't have the, the oomph to, to, you know, do this kind of work himself anyhow. And, you know, Phil Rostelli had been sort of the acting boss until Galente got out of prison. Rostelli went to, went to prison the same year Galente got out, uh, or in 1974, and Galente just took over control of the family. He said, no, I'm the boss, period. This three man, there was a three-man ruling council. Galente said, the hell with that, I'm taking it over. I was the underboss then, and I'm the boss now. He was always loyal to Bonanno, so Rostelli is in jail. He was sort of elected the leader by the commission, and Glente said, the hell with that. I don't care what the commission says. I'm I'm the boss. And so that had started to plant the seeds of bad blood with, you know, and Glente already, he apparently had really uh, hard feelings against Carlo uh, Gambino. And that really, going back to, to the, the earlier issues with Bonanno, but that really, when he turned his back on the commission ruling about who's going to run the family, that was what sort of led to the division starting. Yeah, and, and once once that, Division opens up. There, mm-hmm. there's really no way back. It's really tough to come back from that. Everybody's got their egos up and senses the power. And he's already kind of broken the rules by not yeah. going along with what the commission said. So you know, it's I think all bets are off once you break the rules. The other side. So that's that's when they set up this murder, and that's where we're going to come back to uh, our friend Vito Rizzuto, uh, Phil Rostelli. The commission really favored him over this other faction, it seemed to yeah. me. Yeah, and, and his and, number one guy was, was Joe Messino. Right, and, and the other faction was this Alphonse Indelicato, Philip Giacalone, and Dominic Trinchera. They were capos, well, is that correct? Yeah, they they were all they were all against Galante, Indelicato, and, 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 but what Indelicato thought was that was that uh, uh, Rusty Rustelli is, is kind of a weak leader, and he spent most of his life in jail, and Delicato thought he would be a better leader than Rustelli. He he want they wanted to be done with Galente, but Indelicato and you know because a few days before uh, this death, this Giacconi was in prison. So yeah, the Indelicato group wanted to take control of the family for themselves, and Messino supported uh, his boss Rusty Rustelli, who was in prison. So these three capos. There had been a couple sit-downs about, how are we going to settle this? I mean, the Bonanos had had two formal sit-downs with the other families about these three rogue captains who want to take control of the family for themselves, and Joe Messino, who is supporting Rusty Rustelli, who's in prison. So it was really escalating. The Gambinos and the Columbos had been involved, and the, the Genoveses were supporting Indelicato, uh, uh, and the Gambinos and the Columbos supported Messino. So it was really escalating to where you've got other families involved in this internal strife. That's when you've got capos against other capos, and they're trying to keep peace. Uh, that's that's what really escalated it to where uh, we involve our friend Vito. So yeah, this Joe Messino, of course, he's the one that's out of the joint, and and mm-hmm. Rostelli was in, so he's the one that sets everything up. And and for some reason, I guess we can speculate about this, but he calls Vito Rizzuto and ask him to come down and help with this hit because they've got permission from the, from a couple other bosses. Yeah. 
And, and so he asked him to come down, and I think he brought a couple other Canadians with him, didn't he, to help set up this hit? He did. He brought two or three guys, uh, and, it, you know, the Bonanos have in the and I guess all the families have brought in help from out of town uh, who wouldn't be recognized or who just just could could come in and go out really quickly. Uh, I know that, that uh, you know, they, they've all brought in out-of-town help, but I think that it also helped solidify those ties with, with Rizzuto's again, that the Bonanos were trying to reach back out. Yeah, because that's such a huge moneymaker, and if you were going to end up head of that Bonanno family, you wanted to have that tie for the narcotics connection. Right. Right, Absolutely. And you've got the you got it sewn up there in Canada. So they they call another meeting. These guys are already at ease uh, mm-hmm. in Delicado and these two friends. There's and, no guns at formal sit downs allowed. You no, can't, no you can't, guns. You yeah. can't go armed. And the the uh, I guess the the trick was on them, huh? I wonder. I'd, I'd like to set in on some of that planning, wouldn't you? And had a, heard the different discussions. You know, everybody had to float ideas and and come back because <laughs> it has to go perfectly. You can't mess this up. If you're going to do this big of action, it's got to yeah. go down perfectly. You can't leave anybody alive, and you can't get caught. And it's just, it's huge. So I can't even imagine the planning that went into this one. But they did get them isolated inside of a tavern, I believe, that they, it was yeah. closed, of course. And uh, so it, they did divide the labor. Messina was responsible for, for getting rid of the bodies. And, and I, I can't remember what, uh, what Sonny Napolitano was, was putting together the crew who would actually shoot them. Messina would get rid of the bodies. You know, it was actually, it was like you're saying, it was, there was a lot of planning. They did have it separated, kind of like what happened with the Spilatros here in Chicago. Yeah. It's my understanding that Rizzuto, our friend Vito Rizzuto, was probably one of the trigger men, although he swore he wasn't. Mm. But he was inside the joint, yeah. and he steps out with a gun and act like it's a robbery and, and say, you know, stick your hands up. And and then, of course, the bullets start flying. Now, he claims that he didn't fire. The other people fired. I don't really buy that. But, uh, no. uh, but uh, you know, that's that's how it went down. And, and as you said, then Messino, I, I didn't really realize it was Messino. He had some other guys come in to dispose of the bodies. And, uh, and, and I guess they buried him in a mob graveyard. Did that ever come to light? You know, I can't they, remember. Did he find any of those was, remains? Uh, it was a place called the Hole. I think it was a it was a in Nun. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a division in, in New York, an unincorporated small section of New York. And yeah, they dumped all three bodies. Nineteen days later, they found uh, Sonny Red and Delicado's body. Oh, okay, I thought somebody. And body they found his 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 Cartier watch, and then. Uh, so I guess Joe Messino faced a lot of heat because they found the body right away, and they yeah. said, you know, he did a bad job. Now in Chicago, that got uh, we got John him killed. killed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this uh, uh, Giacone and Trinchera were be- were both they were thrown alongside, but their bodies were not found for another I don't know twenty five or thirty years. So okay. they I guess they spaced them all out in the same field, but I guess they didn't look too thoroughly. But they found this this uh, sunny red. Uh, in Delicado about uh, within 19 days of his being shot. Well, it worked out well for our man Joe Messino because he went on yeah. to be the boss. But That's true. Uh, it didn't work so out so well for other people. They made kind of a poor choice at that when they made Joe Messino the boss over the next several years, didn't they? 
That's, you know, what's interesting about this, too, is that Donnie Brasco, Joe Pistone, was in the middle of all this, working for uh, Sonny Napolitano, who was on the side that killed the, the three guys. And so he was in the middle of it. He was able to testify again about much of this. But Messino never went down for that Donnie Brasco stuff because apparently, from what I've read, uh, Messino was, he didn't trust Donnie Brasco. He said he might be bad from the beginning. And so he always avoided him, which I thought was Did, interesting. Didn't uh, Sonny Black, Napoletano, didn't he get killed? Uh, uh, yes. Really as a result of being stupid enough to allow this uh, Donnie Brasco, Joe Pistone dude in as far as he got in? Yeah, so that was Sonny Red and Delicato and Sonny Black Napolitano. Both uh, both Sonnies got uh, got taken out. Uh, oh, actually, they, the they guy, were gonna, uh, ever going to bring Joe Pistone or Sonny uh, Donnie Brasco in to hit somebody, and and that's when they had to surface him. What's What's interesting is is a guy named Frankie Lino drove these three capos to this hit, and when they walked in the door, nobody was watching the back door, so Frankie Lino's following him in the door. These these uh, the the hit crews all spring on them, start killing them. Frankie Lino, the driver, he panics and he runs out the back, and so they go after him. They miss him. He gets away. His cousin, this guy uh, uh, Eddie Lino, who's in the Gambinos, and they track him down. This Frank Lino, and they say, "Look, here's the deal. You'll be spared. You just got to come in, and and you got to understand that 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 this is how it is." And and so he he uh, he got a pass. Bruno and Delicato, son of Sonny Red, got a pass for the time being. And then later on, this Frankie Lino, who was the driver, he was the one, he was, he was the man they used to kill Sonny Black. Okay, all right. Because he would, he would be familiar with him, and he could, he could get close enough to him. The driver of these three hitmen later on killed Sonny Black Napolitan. It's, it's funny how these, these tangled webs of, uh, of really? relationships <laughs> weave in these mob circles. <laughs> Really, guys are all so intimate about how they shake hands and kill each other. Yeah, I know it's crazy, you know. And this has it gets a little really complicated, you know. Just a little shorthand here, uh, wiretappers out there, you know. Just to go back over this, Joe Bonanno has this sizable, successful crime family. They're involved in narcotics coming out of the Middle East through Montreal, and Vito Rizzuto and his mafia family and his connections up there were in on that, and they were helped bring the heroin in. Carmine the Cigar Galente, he becomes the boss of the Bonanno family, self-proclaimed, but he is the boss for a while, and he has some rivals that kill him. Then in the Bonanno family, there's a split, and, and Joe Massino is on one side, and he sets up a hits on his three his hit on his three rivals, the murder of the three capos, and he gets Vito Rizzuto to come down and help. And during this time, FBI agent Joe Pistone has infiltrated the Bonanno family, uh, the Sonny Black. Napoletano's crew and and Joe Joe Messina want, Joe Messino wants his mentor Sonny Black murdered when that surfaces so uh, and he also uh, understand uh, he wanted his hands cut off to signify missing the handshake as an act, yep. act of trust which is interesting yep. I've seen pockets slid open here in Kansas City I, I don't know if I, that's the only one I really remember seeing so that's you know that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. Um, Joe Messino got convicted. Now, what does that have to do with Vito Rizzuto coming down here to jail to the penitentiary for those ten years? We got it now. We got to finish it off with that. That's right. right. Now, how did that so, happen, Cam? <laughs> so Joe Messino was arrested in uh, uh, much later for for a RICO conviction in in uh, uh, two thousand and three, I think. So. 
Messino, being the big, wealthy, rich guy that he is, he can't do the time. So he, as the first boss of a mob family, rolls over in 2003. He rolls over and becomes a federal uh, 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 witness for the government. And as part of that, immediately Vito Rizzuto gets a call from the Bonanos saying, hey, you might want to... I want to keep an eye here. Your buddy Joe Messino just flipped, and, you know, he's got you on that murder of the three Capos. And so Vito Rizzuto skins out for Cuba. Oh, that's right. He spent some time in Cuba and then came back and mm -hmm. turned himself in, and they were after him. And yeah. He yeah. ends up coming down here to the penitentiary for about 10 years. And, and you know, another, I think we said this before, but uh, they only got 10 years for being part of this murder because Canada would not allow him to be extradited if the death penalty was at play in any case that they had on him, so they reduced the, the actual charge against him to something uh, less than murder, and so he couldn't get uh, he, he wouldn't get the murder uh, the uh, conviction for murder, and and then have to be looking at the death penalty possibly. So uh, that's that's why he did such little time on that, which I always find that interesting. I reckon he still didn't want to tempt fate, though, and he still denied taking any part in it. <laughs> he didn't pull that. He didn't pull that trigger. Like I said, this bad blood—the first season—it really parallels a lot of this really close. Uh, and, and he had a guy named Rene Desjardins that would be like the Declan character who was running his family, or was pretty important in the family while he was incarcerated, and he didn't really like the way things had been going on. And we talked about that before when he came out. And his relatives had all been killed, and the family was in disarray, and, and uh, Vito Rizzuto just, he pulled out all the stops, and, and then he died shortly thereafter. So, anything else uh, you want to add on the Montreal crime family? I think we've done enough. Yeah, I think that's we're good for Montreal. There's a lot going on in Canada, and it's always a good place to, uh, yeah, to revisit. It but is, I think, it's damned interesting. It is. It really is. So, wiretappers, uh, if you have a friend or relative with a problem with drugs or alcohol, make your first call to first call. Call 816-361-5900. Uh, don't forget to go to your Venmo app, and my Venmo name is at Gangland Wire. Buy me a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer. Uh, buy, get my movie, my newest movie, Brother Against Brothers. I'm getting all kinds of... of positive feedback on that you can you can get it on my website for 25 bucks but you get special features off the dvd but you can download it for $1.99 for the uh, standard definition uh, view and uh, off of amazon and give me if you do that give me a review i get a buck of that too which helps the podcast out but give me a review because that helps too i got about eight or nine all of them i got all five star except one and they had real positive comments, and people really liked this movie, so uh, I'm proud of it. Uh, you got my original movie, Gangland Wire, which you can get on uh, Amazon, uh, rent it, or I've got the DVD with the special features on my website. I got my book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos, and then I got the Kansas City Mob Tour app. So I think I've done enough commercializing, don't you? Cam, <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot going on, Gary. You got a lot going on. I do, I do. You know, I'm going to be on this. Uh, this uh, time this comes up, this Newsmax interview is going to be already over. And you know, one other thing I have going on is, uh, oh, that's an interview about the Gotti family. So I'm doing a little brushing up on the Gotti family. That's going to be a live uh, interview. Uh, not will be about six or eight minutes. He told me. So if you happen to see me on it, you know, or you did see me, why well, you just a fluke? I don't even know exactly. I, I guess it's going to be January. The Sixteenth, uh, uh, seven to eight, I believe. Uh, 
So that's, I mean, this will come out after that's over anyhow. So uh, disregard all that. Uh, I am going to be on a, the Las Vegas Review Journal is doing a podcast series. It'll be like one season, a limited series on the mob in Las Vegas in the 70s. So the Hole in the Wall gang, Tony Spilatro, uh, they've got Frank Culotta. They've recorded him, my friend Bill Owsley, and they're going to talk about the skimming, and they're going to record me and and so we can look for, I'll start promoting that whenever that podcast gets out. Cause I think they're going to do a really good job. They, they actually have a budget from the mob museum folks. So when you, when you got a budget to go out and do stuff with, yeah, you, you can do a lot a more. Yes. It does make a difference. You can hire people to do some of this stuff that, that I guess I kind of know what I'm doing, but I've not got any complaints for a long time about the technical aspect of it. But anyhow, moving right along. All right, uh, Cam, I, I appreciate you as always helping me out with this research and and co-hosting this program and we will uh see you soon great time all right good night folks good night music provided by our good friend and super fan from portland oregon casey mcbride thanks casey <laughs>